This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. We are good. Okay. Harsh Mishpat in 5783, everyone. One of the smallest psukim in the Torah. I can't tell you it's the smallest possible because I'm not that type of guy. But Chav Beis Yud Zayin, Mechashefa Lo Sechaya, a witch should not live. Okay, a witch should not live. So, first of all, you got to wonder about the placement of this. Mishpatim is all about different laws, you know, up until Shvi, where it goes into Matan Torah again. But it's all about all the different laws of an Esau got, and they're all connected in some way, shape, or form to the Aseris Adibros. That's why they were set in Harsinai. There's clearly a connection between them. And I'm, although I'm not going to go into how this connects to the Aseris Adibros, at least to understand what is doing around this area in the middle of Parshish Mishpatim. So, right beforehand, we were talking about about a mefateh, a person who seduced a besula into doing something that was wrong. And it talks about that, and then it goes into mechashefa. A mechashefa lo sechaya, which should not live. The Ibn Ezra says the obvious connection is because someone who is a mefateh seducing this girl is somebody who wants to fulfill his desires. He's doing it in an illicit way, in a bad way, but he wants to go through his desires. So therefore he runs after someone that he really shouldn't be with. And that's the idea of what that parsha is, how he's going in. If somebody can not fulfill his desires in a physical way, then he's going to do anything he can to do what he wants to do. And that's where Mechashef Losachaya comes into play. That a witch should not live. Meaning, that person who is a Mechashef or a Mechashef, a witch, a man or a woman, is going to do whatever they can to fulfill those taivas. That's the connection between the two. The Chizkuni adds, right, Kishuf was something that allowed people to fall in love back in the day. Like the love potions that you can make. The genie in Aladdin understood that and said no, right? But everybody else thought that Kishuf was a way of connecting one person to the other <coughs> in that type of way. So therefore, if a person couldn't get a person, a Basula, to be with them, instead they use Kishuf. They use this type of magic to be there. The Balaturim says... Right afterward, the Pusik afterward is talking about being together with an animal. And the reason for that is because more arias, right, different types of illicit behavior lead to kishuf. The more I guess the more inclined you are to do these types of things, to be together with these types of animals or people that they shouldn't be with, that allows a person to be more proficient in their kishuf. And that's the idea. In Melachim Beis, Paraktas Pasachav Beis, it says that Izevel, the wife of Achav, who was not Jewish, as a side note, she was so into all of the different Avodah out there because of the Arayos that were involved. And she got so involved with them, she became a Machashef. It may also hint to Bilam. Bilam was together with his donkey, and so too, he became this proficient Machashef, this guy guy who is doing Kishuf. Says the Balaturim, that's the connection between these three parshios. Getting involved in taivas, going too far, and then once you go too far and you get into Kishuf, then you might have to do something to keep up your Kishuf, and that refers to the Shochet in Behema, the very next Pasuk. The Tzoramor puts all the ideas together, and he says, when a person sees that he can't convince a woman to do an Isser, right, then he goes to witches and forced her to do something through that witchcraft, through that witchery, that type of stuff. If that doesn't work, then they go into the more evil people, and that more evil person is the person who's together with an animal. That's the connection between the Jews' part, three parshas, and that's a bit of a connection between the Shlomo, yeah. No. 
I mean, sort of, but no, I, not something that, that I would say on camera or on video. <laughs> no, but, uh, there is an interesting line, but I, I'd wanna, I don't really wanna go into it. Like, I used to read Stephen King as a kid. Like, he was a terrible, terrible, terrible person. I would never, ever suggest him to anybody. But there is something that he, uh, thought of when it came to stuff like this. And he had an idea. And I read it when I was maybe 14 years old. I, my parents were like so proud of me that I was reading all the time. These books were absolutely horrible for anybody. And again, I would never ever suggest to read them. But there was something about this in there. And I, I, I don't want to say without thinking that maybe I was influenced by that. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what's influencing me more, this farm that I've read or something that I saw when I was 14 years old. So I'm not positive. So let's go on. What is Kishuf exactly? What is Kishuf? Rav Hirsch says that it comes from a combination of two words, which is super interesting. The word is Yoshav, to sit down and be settled, and Kozav, Chav Zayin Beis, which is a lie. A Mechashif is a person who wants to connect different parts of nature together, parts that shouldn't be connected with each other, but does deception with it, tries to lie with it, tries to do horrible things because of it. The action itself is not necessarily deserving of death, right? It kind of depends on what the Mechashif does, but it doesn't necessarily deserve death. But the nation around him is deserving of death for allowing there to be a person like this who's willing to do all of these things and not care about them whatsoever. That's what happens. The influence of having a machashif around you, a guy who doesn't care. He doesn't care what God wants. He doesn't care what other people want. He just wants to do what he wants to do and allowing somebody to do such a thing, the whole nation, that could be fatal by everybody and therefore he has forfeited his life because we don't want that influence among other people. There's a morality almost involved over here where the guy is thinking, I want everything to fit my narrative. I want everything to fit me and we can't allow that to happen. That's Riff Hirsch's idea of how bad Kishif could be. And there's more, obviously, in Parsh Kedosh when he gets really into this. The Rabbeinu Bahaya says, really, Kishuv is connecting things that are disconnected from one another. Right? In other words, when you connect certain things that shouldn't belong, and really, this is the same idea of shotness, or like putting animals together in some way. When you connect those things around, it mixes the kochos above. Their powers, their malachim, the ones that are in charge above, it mixes them up, which causes strange things to happen in the world below. It's comparable, as we said, to shotness. It's comparable to Basr B'cholov. It's the same basic idea, except this is doing it maybe even a higher form up in Shemaim itself. The Khartoumim were experts at this. They were able to make damaging things, damaging items, by connecting things that had nothing to do with one another. They were able to do natural wonders, right? Things that were there and made them look supernatural because they simply took two things and put them together. And therefore, Kishuf is an acronym, he says. This is how the Rabbin Bechaya puts it, of Machishin Pamalya Shomala. It denies what Bezdin Shomala wants to do. And that comes from the Gemara and Sanhedrin, because that's really what it is. HaKadosh Baruch is an order, a Seder, the way he wants things to go about, and you're trying to do things that takes it out of that order, out of that Seder, out of everything that Bezdin Shomala wants, you're denying what they are. If you allow the world to run its course, rather than put yourself in the middle of it, that would be much better. It's almost like an argument of bitachon, of do I trust God that everything's going to be out, turn out okay, or go through? And we do have a power of kishuf. And before I answer your questions, Tomo, we do have a power of kishuf. Davening is our form of kishuf. 
By davening to Hashem, we're able to ask Hashem to rise above everything, to not allow things to happen the way it naturally would without me going. I'm asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu, rise above that. Let me go above that. Let it be that the mazolos don't happen the way that I want them to. Ain mazol Yisrael. That's a gift that we are given, our own bit of kishuf, where we can say words instead of abracadabra. It's Hashem Svasai Tiftach. But that's our power to be able to go around. And I apologize that there is no wand to use during Shimon Asra. I know that would make it a lot better, and everyone's Shimon Asra would be a lot better when you're waving that around. We do have tzitzis that you could throw around somewhere, but we don't have it. But that's the concept of what we have that's as close as you can to the Kishav of Ben. Shlomo, what's up? The exact same thing. There is a form of kishuf that's mutter, and that's this. This. The ability to pull things together that shouldn't have been together by my davening. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I, so don't take me at face. But yes, there's a The way the Reb Tzadok Cohen puts it is there's a difference between Elisha and Elio and Avi. If it had to be through the powers of Tefillah, or it could also be through the powers of Torah. That Elio and Avi did everything he did through the power of Tefillah, and Elisha did everything he did through the power of Torah. Yes, Torah has that ability as well. It doesn't have to be through. But the point is to say the words, whether it's words of Tefillah, words of Torah, right? Has the ability to do that. That's the Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar. It's so interesting. The Chassam Sofer. He asked this in his Sefer in Chuvas in Orachaim Kufsadi Zayin. He says, why is it mutter for Chazal to have learned Sefer Yitzira? To learn Kabbalah. Why are they allowed to learn Kabbalah Mises, for example? There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin that says, Samachayim Abayz, that they were able to create a golem. Rava seems to have created a golem. Sent it over to Rabzera, etc. Right? What, what in the world did that come from? Why are you allowed to change things that are there in the world in front of you by learning Kabbalah? How could you change the world like that? Any, you could really ask this on anybody who knew Kabbalah Mises, which obviously in our history has been very damaging to many people. Think like Shapsai Tzvi or Yashka maybe, if he really was doing anything at all if he ever existed, right? There are other people out there, right, that did things through this Kabbalah Mises and destroyed themselves. But why was anyone allowed to do it? And the Gemara clearly says this happened by either Rav, Rabba, maybe Rabba, maybe Rava, right? Maybe Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus, by Rabbi Akiva. There seems to be something here. Why is that Mutter? And he says the craziest answer. He says there is a difference. There is a difference between taking Shefa influence that has already come down from Shemayim and switching it. The influence came down, let's say, and was there for a, a blade of grass. And you grabbed that influence through your Kishof and used it on a llama. Let's just say that you did something like that. You were able to take Kishof and change the influence that's already down here and move it somewhere else. Versus, the other way of looking at it is, taking influence that's up there in Shemayim before it comes down and redirecting it to come down for something else. That's the difference, says the Chassam Sofer. If you're down here, below the mazel, below the planets, and you're trying to influence things down here and make things look like there's something else, turning a staff into a snake, let's say, or you want to turn something else, wine, into something that's whatever it is, right? If you want to do something like that, that's already too late. It's down here on earth. You shouldn't be changing hashpa. You shouldn't be changing any influence that's there in the world. But says the Chassam Sofer, if you're able to get above that, if you can go by the Malachim, and you can tell the Malach that's up there, the Malach that's in charge of the blade of grass, and say, wait, I need you to work over there. 
then you're allowed to do it. You can make the influence go in a different direction above the entire world. That is an unbelievable Chsam Sofer. And he says that's the idea. Using Shemos HaKedoshim, which means the names of Hashem that Kabbalah is based on, and knowing how to use them and influencing from up above, that means you're above everything. You're above the Malachim. That's what you're doing. It's like, I I don't want to put it this way because it sounds so simplistic. It's like, Looking from on top down and being the guy, who's the guy, the, the puppeteer that like works the, the puppets below, right? Versus the guy who's on the bottom, once the puppet's already down there, he takes them and moves them around from place to place. If you're moving them around from place to place, that's a problem. But influencing them from above, that's not an issue. That's exactly what that's supposed to be. That's the idea behind it. What an unbelievable sum so far. That's the idea behind it. And that's the idea. Kishuv can never reach that high. However, the Rabbeinu Hanano famously says that Kishuv cannot change what God wants. That there is an inability to go anything. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't want it, it wouldn't happen. So it's clearly part of God's plan. Kishuv doesn't change anything. You, you just made it happen through your Kishuv, but it didn't have to be through your Kishuv. It wasn't through you. It would have happened anyway, says the Rabbeinu Hanano. So why are you punished? You didn't do anything. You didn't influence anything. Everything that was supposed to happen is going to happen whether you wanted to or not, whether you meant it to happen or not. So what exactly is happening over here? So he says, the only reason why you're chayev is because you're over on the gezerah of the king. The king said, don't do this. And you did it. How dare you? How could you have done such a thing? Not because they're actually doing anything. They're not. They're not. But because the king said no, you say no. Also, I would assume, because B'nai Saul were in Mitzrayim for quite a bit, and they saw people doing stuff like that. It was a huge taiva for this, and they were fooled by it. So the Pesukim are telling us, don't get fooled by it. Don't get involved with it. But says Rabbi Nochanan, there's nothing real. There is absolutely nothing real. Similar to the Rambam, which we're not going to get into. The Rambam saying that anybody who gets involved in Kishav is a fool. Anybody who thinks they're actually doing anything is a fool. That's the basic idea that the Rabbi Nochanan is saying. There is absolutely nothing there. Now, the Rekinati, he says that there are some who are able to do this through their words alone. That's the guys that we were talking about, the Kishuf, the Mahashan, they were able to say things and make things happen. They didn't do anything else. But there are other ways of making Kishuf happen. For example, Misa Shadim. Getting demons involved, calling on the demons, or influencing the demons to do what you want. Apparently, the women of Moab were very into magic and doing these types of things. And that's the reason why Machlon and Kilion, who married Rus and Orpah, if you'll remember, in the beginning of Rus, Machlon and Kilion were killed because they get involved with these women of Moab that were very, very into it. It turns out that Rus came back and everything was good, but Orpah used her powers of evil to be able to have children like Gullius and Madon and Saf and Yishbi Benov, who were horrible people for Klau Yisrael. Gullius, we know, that's the one that David and Melech killed, but because of that, Orpah went off and became the other direction. She was Harafa, right, that the mentions in Shmuel Bays at the very, very end, and had these children, that's the idea behind it. That's why B'nai Saul had such a hard time in Shittim when the women of Moab and Midian were sent against them because that's what they were into. That's, what, that's from the Reikanati itself. Now, the Mi'am Loes brings this Rabbeinu Hananu, and he says that nonetheless, the, the Mechash of Ischai Misa, not just because he's going against the Gzeir of Hashem, because he's doing something that forces God's hand at a time when it wasn't supposed to happen yet. So the Miyamlois is sort of like a mixture between what we were saying before and the Rabbeinu Hanano. Meaning, 
The Rabbin Abachayah seems to say there is a power. The Rabbin Ochanano is saying there is no power. It's just God doing something. He says to me, it's a little bit of a mixture of the two. And it is, you are influencing Hashem to do it, but now instead of later. Had the Mechashef waited, it would have happened on its own, but years later, months later, a day later, I don't know when it is. The Mechashef forces Hashem to make something happen now, which is not what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants. And that's why the person is punished, because you go through there. It, again, it will never work, says Miam Lois, because it's something that a Kaddish Baruch Hu wanted, against someone who has bitachon in Hashem. If a person trusts in Hashem, then that person cannot be influenced by magic, and there will be no issue whatsoever. Rei Hanina, right, said he was never able to be affected by magic since he placed all of his trust in a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and he constantly said, Einod Milvado, which it says in Chulun in the very beginning of the first parak. But even the Gemara says, Rabino, Rabbi Hanina was different. He was nafish schuse. He had a lot of merits. And Therefore, he was unaffected, and maybe that's because of his tremendous bitachon, but he was unaffected by it. The Tziyuni says famously that the Machashvim get all their power from the ground. From the ground. Because the Machashit, the Malach in charge of these things, right, who he's trying to influence, is part of the ground itself, has something to do with the ground. He says there's a secret, and it's learned from the Pasuk, Emes me'eretz titzmach v'tzedek mishamayim nishkaf, that truth comes from the earth, and that righteousness from the heavens is looked down, but that's not for now. This is the reason, Zuni says, that Khartoumim were not able to do anything during Makaskinim. Anybody remember? Because they couldn't influence the demons because the demons can't work on anything less than the size of a barley bean. They couldn't do anything on the ground, they themselves, because the ground was filled with lice and they weren't standing on the ground. Another way to deal with Kishuf is if you're in the water, you can't have Kishuf effect. We'll talk about a story that has something to do with that, but water, you cannot be affected because again, if the power says the Sunni is from the ground, there's nothing you can do with that. Rekinati says, Rav Huna came to a certain city and a woman came and threw water on his shoulders. It must have been weird enough, but a woman was just throwing water at him, right, and then took some dirt from beneath his feet. Ravuna told her she can do whatever she wants. It wouldn't affect him, but he decreed that she should lose her mind so that others wouldn't be affected by her. And that's what he did. Obviously, she did. And a happy ending for everybody. So what does it mean in the Pasuk where it says, Mechashetha lo sechaya, that a witch should not live? Right? What does that mean, shouldn't live? That's not the right wording. A witch should be killed and based in, right? So is it Skila? Is it Srefa? Is it Hereg or is it Chenek? We have one of the four deaths. Why not say Mechashefa Mos Tamus? She should die, right? Mechashefa, I don't know, is Chayv Skila. Say one of those words. What is this line of Lo Sechaye? So Rashi says that the Pshat is she should be killed in Basin. She's got to be killed in Basin. But again, that's not answering the question. So why say Lo Sechaye? Sifzachamim says that the wording of Lo Sechaye appears by the seven nations. Lo Sechaye kol neshama. Just like over there, right, anyone can kill them at any time. You'd think that would apply here. That's why Rashi had to tell you, no, here you got to do it in Basin. By Machashef, you have to do it in Basin. But again, that's not explaining it very well. I don't understand. If it says Lo Sechaye over there and it's killed the seven nations in any way possible. Why wouldn't that apply over here? What exactly does Rashi mean? There's a machlokas, as a side note, what punishment a machashefa receives or a machashef receives. Is it going to be sayif, similar to the death given to the seven nations, because that's lo sechaya, the other appearance, or others say skila, because in behemayimish, lo yichye, yichye, not sichye, but at least it's close, and the pasuk right after it is talking about being with an animal, so it makes sense that maybe it's connected. The Rambam paskins, she gets skila. That's the Rambam. It seems from the Gemara that's the conclusion of the Gemara as well, but regardless, it is a machlokas whether it's going to be skila or saif. Aksavah Kabbalah then looks at the wording and he says the following. He says, 
maybe a person's going to look at it and say, eh, I, and excuse me for saying it this way, but it's just a woman. A woman got involved in this stuff. She didn't realize that it was bad. So let's let her live. It's not that bad of a deal. So I don't know. I'll let her like live on and we'll just tell her, don't do it ever again. Maybe you'll think that way. Says That's why it says, lo do not let her live. I know you're thinking to yourself, let her live. Don't think that. Get rid of her as soon as possible. That's the idea that Ksav Kabbalah puts down. So we see that the wording of Lo Sechaya is because of what you would have thought otherwise. Had you not done anything, that's what it would have been. The Gurarie suggests this wording is because these people are dealing with things that don't belong in our world. Such a thing should not have any chius. It shouldn't last. It shouldn't have a kiyum. That's why it says Lo Sechaya. These things are outside of our world. Do not let them continue. Get rid of them as soon as possible, Avi. So either way, yeah, 100%. I, I, the halacha for sure requires hasra and adim. There's no question whatsoever, as opposed to the seven nations, which is whenever you can find them, kill them. We're going to give one exception to that, and that's another part to that, but I'll get to that. Then it means that it could be that even if the woman isn't Jewish, you're chayiv to kill her. Now this is again a machlokis, it's in Sanhedrin and Samach Vav. Does magic apply to non-Jews or not? Are they allowed to do magic or are they not allowed to do magic? There is an afkamina. The afkamina is... If you hold like the Rambam, then achizas enayim is usr. Usr, meaning you can't do sleight of hand. So those magicians that are doing these quick magic tricks and like going whatever it is, according to the Rambam, it's usr, medioraisa, and you're chayv misa for it. Now, if that applies, don't ask me how we can have Jewish magicians. There are heterim, everybody quotes the Ramosha. I'm not sure if that Ramosha was ever meant that way, but Rabbi First always told me here that that is what, refer, what Ramosha said. He said, Ramosha held that magic nowadays does not look like what they thought magic was a thousand years ago, and that's why we allow magicians, right? And everybody knows they're fakes. I'm like, I don't know, you know, if you ever looked at, you know, those, those magicians on, you know, those videos, you're kind of like, oh, <laughs> like, how are those happening? But regardless, this, right? Everybody knows they're fake. I was fooled by that guy who levitated, you know, the guy up there. Only later did I realize he had like little things in his pants that were that were pushing him off the ground. You guys know that? He had those little things back. I had no idea how he was doing it. I'm like, he must be flying in the heavens. <laughs> like, I had no idea. I couldn't figure out what was going on with him. I'm like, he for sure made a deal with the devil. Like, I couldn't figure it out. But apparently, everybody knows that that's not going to happen. The idea, I think, behind it is, is that even by non-Jews, oh, and that's where you get to the Nafkamira, by the way. Can you get a non-Jewish magician? Because again, a non-Jewish magician is technically mutter because non-Jews don't have a chiv of kishuf. Nonetheless, even if they do have a chiv of kishuf or they don't have a chiv of kishuf, we still have to get rid of them. It could be, says the Nitziv, that lo sechayez, don't let them live, even if they're not Jewish. A mechashefa, Jewish, non-Jewish, get rid of them. Don't let them live. And that's the reason why it says lo sechayez. So we give a couple reasons so far. Rashi says referring to Basin, but three different reasons why it says lo sechayez. The Chizkuni says this wording is indicated because you can kill them in any way possible. If they're really a witch, right? And they can do anything they want. Then obviously you're not going to be successful if you try going in in the normal fashion. The Gemara tells, or the Targum Yonason tells us, they tried killing Bilam with a sword, but they weren't successful because Bilam was a machashef and he knew how to get around it. So they tried doing anything they could. In the end, they had to use his own sword, which had the picture of a snake on it, and that's how they had to kill him because they couldn't kill him in any other way. So that idea is do anything you can, and if you're the first one to do so, you're a Zoha. Hold on a second, Shaya. So if you delay in bringing them to Basin, 
It could be they'll figure out a way to get out of it. They'll use their magic in order to figure out how not to die. The Vahor Shor Panech Raz and Hadras Kenu said the same thing. And how do they know this? Because Sanhedrin, Yudzai Amalf says there were members of Sanhedrin that knew how to do magic. And they used it to kill the people who did magic because they didn't need to, needed to know how. They had no idea what to do. So Shai, what are we going to say? I bet, yeah, that became late. So I already said there's three reasons. Look on page one by the first three things. That That is the very first part I came into. Dave? Is it, is it considered one of the mitzvahs to kill a machashik or a Yes, 100%. It's one of the three, one of the three sixty. Yeah, yeah. Lo, there's a question you should know whether it's considered an assay or a los assay, but the Rambam and the Sefer Achina both listed in a los assay because lo sechaya, you cannot let them live. Yeah, you need a basin. You need a basin. Not like the seven, yeah, seven nations. So, in the Hashik, like, like, and they're walking down the street, like, you cannot do anything but cross the street and kill that person. Like, you now have a chiyah to do that? No. With basin? No, it has to be done in basin. If the person is is labeled that. Oh, if it's that and they can't kill them in any other way, and you happen to know? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. It, yeah, it's sort of it's sort of like the seven nations, according to Schiskuni. And you could do anything you can to be able to get rid of them. So in a way, I guess you could. I guess you could. Hold on. Well, everyone mentions the the famous Rashi in Sanhedrin Memdal and Obeys. The truth is, it's in the end of the second parak in Yushalmi Chagiga. That's where the actual story is. With Shim Ben Shatach and the 80 witches of Ashkelon. If you haven't heard this story, it's an awesome story. I'll go through very, very quickly. I'm going to skip the first part of the story because there's nothing to do with it. It just happens to be how they found out that Shimon ben Shatach had promised that when he becomes Nasi, he's going to get rid of the 80 witches of Ashkelon. Either way, regardless, he didn't do it. He almost went to Gehenim for it. So a guy found him and told him what was going to happen. So Shimon ben Shatach said, you're right, I'm going to go take care of it. He called over 80 Bahram, 80 young men that were very strong, and he told them to be able to put, the, he told them, put your, your, have these coats and have these big kalim, right, and have this stuff from whatever it is, have something ready and come with me at night. They waited for a snow, for a really bad rainstorm. They all went and they were soaked. And he told them, all right, I want you to take out... There's a question how to read this Kamara. I'm going to do it the way that I think you can read it in the Yushalmi. Take out the pieces of clothing from the kalim that you have and put them on so it looks like you're dry and you were never in the rain. When I whistle once, come in. When I whistle... To, well, get your Get everything ready. When I whistle twice... Come inside, grab one of the witches, and lift her up in the air. Shimon ben Shatach walks in, and he's wearing dry clothing. So the witches see him, and they say, how are you able to survive in the dry, in the, you know, without getting wet? He said, I walked in between the raindrops. They said, you have to teach us how to do it. He said, well, I need to know if you, you're worthy. Show me your magic. So they did all this magic, and they did this, that, and the other, right? And they did one after the other. Yushami doesn't mention that, but Rashi seems to say it, right? So afterward, they did their magic. They finished everything, and then he said, okay. They said, your turn. You have to show us. So he whistled once. All the men outside put on the dry clothing. He whistled twice. They ran inside, picked up the witch, and lifted her off the ground, because we all know that the witch has her power from standing on the ground. So they lifted him off the ground, and then he went, and he took all 80 of them, didn't allow them to go back on the ground. I'm sure they were biting and kicking, and that's why they were super strong guys. Led them down to a gallows that had already been prepared with 80 different places. Hanged them all. Remember, you hung a salami, but you hanged a person. Hanged them all up on top of the gallows, all 80 of them on the same day, even though the death for a witch is not 
chenek. That's clear. It's either sayif or skila. Nonetheless, he did. And even though you're not allowed to kill more than one person at a time, still, and even though he technically did not send them to Bezdin, but he did everything he could. Rashi brings that. Yushalmi brings this story. And all of that is brought down rare because, again, that's part of Lo Sechaya. If you have no other way of defeating the 80 witches of Ashkel, that's there. As a side note, at the end of the story, it gets even better. And this is why the Gemara in Sanhedrin brings it up because they, the 80 witches had relatives and those relatives hired false Adam to testify that Shimon ben Shetach's son had committed murder or something like that and deserved to die, right? So the, at the, the trial, Shimon ben Shetach said, I'm not, I'm not pardoning him even though I know these Adam are false. So Shimon ben Shetach's son got up there and said, if I'm guilty of anything, then I should use this as a kafar. I'll go to Shemayim. If I'm not guilty, if I'm totally innocent, then these two Adam should have the worst punishment of all time. The two Adam were like, that's a good guy and we probably shouldn't have done this. They said, we're sorry, we didn't mean it. And Shimon ben Shetach said, he can't say it again. They can't go back on their testimony. So they killed Shimon Shatach's son. That's the end of the story, which is not in the Yushalmi, but it's brought down there. It's at the end of Yushalmi. I think there's like a hint to it at the end of Yushalmi, but it's brought down in that Gemara in Sanhedrin, right, with Rashi over there. It's a crazy story, but it shows you what they were willing to do in order to kill these people, and that's that. <laughs> Obviously, Sanhedrin had issues with this. How would they know if they were doing Kishuf? How would they know what constitutes Kishuf? How would they know how to kill somebody who's Machashit? So they had to have people who understood how to judge these things and had to learn it and save themselves from other people. And they learned the klolem, the general rules of what Kishuf is all about to figure out what it was and to reverse it and to be able to do anything out there. That's the idea of what it was. Lechem Mishnah and Hilchos Sanhedrin, Perak Beis Halachavav. This is a wonder that this Lechem Mishnah. He says there are milas that are mentioned about Sanhedrin. For example, they have to know all 70 languages. They don't have to, right? But that would be a mila that Sanhedrin has to have. But you know what they have to have? Two things they gotta have. They gotta be Balei Chachma and they have to be Balik Shatham. That is a requirement, says the Lacha Mishnah. They must know Kishuf, or they can't be on Sanhedrin. It was a requirement. In Pe'asa Shochan, Rabbi Yisrael Mishklov, the famous, famous Talmud from the Vilna Gon, says in his Akdama that the Vilna Gon learned Chochmasa Kishuf. He learned it. I have no idea how, I have no idea where, but he learned it for this reason. He wanted to be part of Sanhedrin in the future. So he learned how to do it and never obviously practiced it so that he would be part of the Sanhedrin in the future. Is that crazy? It's great. The Grah knew how to do this. And that's the idea behind it. Miam Lois brings Yushami and Sanhedrin, the Rabbi Elezer, Rabbi Yeshua, and Rabbi Kiva once entered a merchat. And Machasha said something that caused them to stand in their place and they couldn't move. Rabbi Elezer said to Rabbi Yeshua, you know what to do. Rabbi Eliezer to Rabbi Yeshua, which is super interesting because we know the Rabbi Eliezer knew Kishuf from the Gemara in Samach Dalid in Sanhedrin. But the Yushami said, Rabbi Eliezer said to Rabbi Yeshua, you know what to do. When the Machashif reached the door to leave, Rabbi Yeshua said something and froze them in place. Just like they were frozen in place, he was frozen in place. So everyone had to push and punch him in order to get in. They're like, what are you doing here? And they kept punching him, but he couldn't move. Right? They yelled at him for getting in the way. He begged them to release him, and they did so after he released them. As they were leaving, they asked him to show him their powers. He told him to follow him to the river. He then split the river in half and claimed he was greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Rabbi Yeshua said, but Moshe walked through the sea. You have to do that also. So the guy said, I can do that. He walked into the river. Rabbi Yeshua called something down. The river immediately came and drowned him, and he was gone. That's what the Gemara brings down. Clearly, Rabbi Yeshua knew how to defeat a Machashev. Clearly, he had learned how to be able to do these types of things. Yeah, Shai. Um, yeah. Oh, of course. Right. 
but this is not like a Star Wars type of thing. Where we're worried about somebody turning in and saying like, Luke, I am your father type of thing. We're not worried about that, right? What we're really, not, we're, we, that's why, I'll tell you honestly, if somebody come up to me and say, Rabbi, I really want to learn Kishav because I want to be on Sanhedrin, I'll be like, dude, go learn all of Gemara a thousand times. And afterward, still no. Okay, that's what I would tell him. Okay, the Vilna Gon, I'm okay with. Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania, I'm okay with. Rabbi Hanina and Rav Huna saying Enod Melvado a thousand times so that Kisha wouldn't affect it. I'm okay with. For somebody else, Joe Schmo, to come up to me and be like, I'm going to learn Chachmas Akisha. I'm going to be like, dude, you're going to go to the dark, dark side. You are literally Darth Vader. That's who you are, right, if somebody decides to do that. And that's obvious when it comes through there. Now, the Rashbam says it was common for women to hide their practices of Kishuf in caves and things like that so people wouldn't know what they're doing. And obviously, that's what the 80 witches were doing. They were hiding in caves and doing that, right? Therefore, the wording is used to urge us to go out, lo sechaya, go out and find them and don't let them live so you can go after them and kill them. Go through, don't let them live through your laziness. Go out, find them and kill them. The Paniyafa says that elsewhere, he finds this by the Midrashim, Yonis and Yambrus, the two sons of Bilam, flew into the air to escape destruction in the Yamsuf, or Bilam himself who tried flying away from the war against Midian, had to be chased after by their Pimchas or Tzilu, used the shame of Hashem to be able to knock him down, or the Tzitz HaKadosh to be able to knock him down. Sometimes you have to do something extreme. That's what's meant by Lo Sechaya. Sometimes you got to use a shame of Hashem to be able to go after the to grab him and to knock him down like Pinchas did. Sometimes you got, or like Tzila did, Tzila been done. Sometimes you got to use the Tzitzah Kodesh. Sometimes you have to do something else. That's the idea behind it. The Ramban says we go after witches more than anything else because they're metame the land with their practices and fools their, what they're thinking is real and swayed after them. Similar to what we were saying before, similar to the Rabbein of Achaya. That's why the Pesach says to get rid of them. And lo sachmolov, like a mesis, lo sachmolov, lo sikhukofer by a murderer, lo sechaya, by Mechashev, do not go through there. Now again, why is it in feminine form? Rashi says because women were more common to be found in these practices. They're the ones who did Kishav more than anybody else. Like Ovi Adoni says, Isha, Isha. So we know that men or women did these types of things, especially necromancy, talking to the dead, right? But nonetheless, it's in feminine form because Diber, Hakasuv, Behoved, the women were more involved than the men were. Abarbanel explains why. He says a very interesting reason of Nashim Daitim Kalosain, which means they're lightheaded, they get involved with this stuff, and it's sort of like what we set up above that maybe you shouldn't blame, Aksava Kabbalah, maybe you can't blame them for getting involved, couldn't be that way, I don't know clearly that was something that they had the idea of that back then and obviously it's a mission on Avos, Marben Nashim, more wives, Marbek Shatim, there was more Kishif and Avos, there was clearly something there the Tzuyuni talks about this, the Balaturim says Mechashef could be re-spelled into Hamechashef to say it could be a man or a woman itself, there's a Panini Kadim over here, either way, we've got two things to do over here so we're going to have to go quick the Balaturim says there are three times where the word Sechaye appears, Lo Sechaye three times where it appears. We already did one by the seven nations. We already know here, obviously. The third one is in Kohelis, Perak Zion, Pasig Yudbez. Ha-chokma tichyeh ba'aleha. Wisdom allows those who have it to live. The Medrash tells us, says the Balaturim, that the Amalekim were experts in Kishuf. They were experts in magic and they were able to change themselves into animals. They had, uh, what's that called? Uh, you, what's the word, Shlomo? When you turn into animals? No, it's something, it's, uh, oh man, 
Oh, man. It's like one of those famous words. Oh, gosh. All right. I forgot what it is. I don't know. But yes, it's shape-shifting, but I forgot what the word is for this specifically. But they were experts. They did that. That's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Sholem to kill every single animal in the war against the Malik because the animals could have been people. As a side note, I cannot find it anymore. But the Beni Shchai I found in the Od Yosef Chai says straight out that the way to tell if an animal is a human being or not is to look at the eyes of the animal. And if you see the eyes are human eyes and it's a human and you have to kill the animal immediately. Okay, so I keep looking at cows and some of those eyes are freaky. They are so freaky. But I haven't yet seen a human being as a cow and I still I have no idea where I found it. I have no idea I can't find it anywhere. I thought it was in this week's parsha, and I thought I'd find it. I cannot find it anywhere. So if anybody knows where that Od Yosef Chai is, it's somewhere in the Od Yosef Chai throughout Chomish. I just can't find it anymore. Anyway, when Shaul Melech didn't do that, that's how a Malik survived. That's how the Ramalekim a few prokem later when David Melech went to Tziklug running away from Shaul Melech he was fighting against Amalekim how were the Amalekim the Amalekim were all killed Agag king of the king of Amalek was the last one there Agag was killed by Shmuel and Abi the answer is because they survived by becoming these animals right and ended up being these whatever it is that Chochma Chochma Tichya Ba'aleha that's the Tichya if you don't let them if you allow them to live if you don't do Mechashef if you allow them to live Chochma Tichya Ba'aleha they'll allow them themselves to survive, and there'll be those animals over there. This, by the way, is brought by Rishuv and Levin Yerushalmi Roshana Per Gimel Halachachas, that Amalek was filled with magicians. Yalka Shimoni says the same in Chelek Be'ez Remez, Tafkuf Samach Dalet. There's an Otsur Plosa Torah that I found that might be understood from the Smicha Subsukim as well, because the next Pasuk deals with being together with animals. So they're all connected. The Chidah explains the combination in a different fashion, but I gotta go into something else. This is the last one. This is one of my favorite Divrei Torah that I found when I was super young. It might be like 1998 when I found this. I bought a Baal Shem Tov Torah. Now the Baal Shem Tov Torah is a crazy safer. And 99% of it is totally non-understandable to a regular person who's not like totally into Hasidus. So it's really difficult for me. But I bought it because of this Dvar Torah. I found it in a bookstore and I found this and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Must be the whole rest of the Sefer is crazy. And it is. It's just not like this one. He says the following. He quotes the Gemara, Shabbos Pe'alafim Beis. Rav Chista and Rabba Barav Huna were on a boat. As they're on a boat, a witch came and asked to sit down next to them. So Rabba Barav Huna and Rav Chista said, No, we're not letting you sit down next to us. So here's what the Gemara says. Umra Milsa Vyasarta Arba. She said something. And she stopped the boat in the middle of the sea. I know I said before the Kishu doesn't work in the water. I don't know how this happened over here. I assume that it's because she was on a boat itself. I'm, I'm not going into that. I'm not sure exactly. But regardless, Asar Talarba. Amru Milsa, they said, Amilsa, they said something, and they caused the Arba, the boat, to move again. And then she told them, well, I can't do anything to you because you guys don't go to the bathroom and wipe yourselves with sharp stones and you don't eat from vegetables that are tied up and you don't, um, what's the other one? Um, it was one other thing. I forgot what it was. But you don't do three things. So therefore, because of that, I can't get anything. I can't do anything. Says the Baal Shem Tov, Such a classic question. I understand why the Gemara doesn't tell us what she said. Because it doesn't want to tell us what Kishuf is. But why not tell us what they said? Why not tell us what they said? They obviously said something that broke her magic. 
Wouldn't that be an important thing for all of us to know? So when we meet magician A, right, we could just say something like that mag- magician who's like pulling a bunny out of the hat, you know, pulling that bunny out, and you're just like, right? And all of a sudden, there's no bunny. And he's like, what just happened? And you're like, ha-ha! Wouldn't that be great? Because everybody knew that Gemara. Because the Baal Shem says, why not teach us exactly what to say? There's probably a Shem Tara, a name of Hashem that's able to knock out all magic. And they said it. So why not tell us what it is? Why say Amru Milsa? Amru Milsa, they said something. Just tell us what it is. He answered, it did. The shame is in the Gemara itself. If you look at the Gemara, right, it's based on this Pasuk, Mechashefa lo sechaya, the witch should not live. You have to know the proper Kavanos that are hinted to in that Pasuk in order to understand it properly. But Rav Chista and Rabbi Ravuna knew how to do it. So they said it. And that's why it says, Amra lehu milsa. She said something to them. But Amru milas. Mem lamed saf. Not milsa. Mem Lamed Saf. Mem Lamed Saf is the Rashi Tevis of Mecha Shefa Lo Sechaya. The Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tov loved this so much, they went searching. And they found old-time Gemaras. You can't do this anymore. You know, everything's like Vilna Press. So, like, everything's made. Like, you, you, even if you find, like, an Oz Vahadr Gemara from 2001, it's the same idea. It's just, like, all of them are made the same. But they had handwritten Gemaras from all the way back. So, in the 1600s, they're looking through all these Gemaras, and they found a Gemara. The Talmudim found a Gemara. And in that Gemara, it said, Amru Milas, not Milsa. Even though our Gemaras all say Milsa, they found one that said Milas. And Milas was not a word. It was Mechashefa Lo Sechaya. If you are able to concentrate on that Pasuk and say it over and over and say it in the proper way, however it is that you're Rav Chista and Rabbi Rav Huna, you can do it, you will be able to make the boat go again. So I did try it the last time I was on a boat with a witch and it didn't work, but that might be because I, I'm not as proficient as Rabbi Rav Huna and Rav Chista, but it would be absolutely amazing. He said they were able to see with their own eyes how the Baal Shem Tov Torah was MS like Moshe Misina. Yeah, what do you got, Shalom? Were you yeah, the eyes of the animal. Where did I get it from? Yeah. Od Yosef Chai, who's the, the Benish Chai, in Od Yosef Chai, somewhere in the Sefer. I just don't know where. By the way, there are four Od Yosef Chais that the Benish Chai wrote, because the Benish Chai wrote different sfarim for everything. Like, he wrote the Benish Chai and Chomish, and the Benish Chai and Alachos, and the Benish Chai and whatever, and th- there's a bunch. It's the Od Yosef Chai and Chomish. I have it. It's a white Sefer. I have searched for it over and over and over again, and I cannot find it, and I know it's there. So, believe that there. I will find it. You're going to have to trust me on this one, and it's going to be okay. I promise you. It is there somewhere, but I'll find it eventually. All right, everybody. Have a great Shabbos.